and welcome to today's edition of Tabernacle Today, a podcast maintained by the Tabernacle located in Danville, Virginia. The following lesson is by Dr. Danny Campbell, senior pastor at the Tabernacle, and was recorded during our Wednesday evening Bible study. Additional information about the Tabernacle can be found at our website at www.thetabernaclefamily.org. Our prayer is that you will be blessed by the Word of God today. Turn in your Bibles as we join Dr. Danny for another edition of Tabernacle Today. Well, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1, our third message in 2 Peter, which is a tremendous book. And um, as you turn there, um, I want to tell you about the Raymond Edmund. Has anybody ever heard of Raymond Edmund before? Uh, see, what happens is we get a few years down the road and we all forget some of the great saints of God. Let me tell you a little bit about him. He was born in 1900 in Chicago and actually served the country in World War I. After that, he was a missionary in Ecuador, so one of the early 20th century missionaries. Then he was a pastor, wrote 19 books, and finally was a professor and then president of Wheaton College from 1941 to 1965. Now, Wheaton's a little bit off track these days, uh, still has some good things happening there, but it's not as uh, firm in the scriptures as it was at one time. When Edmund was there, it was uh, a tremendous trainer of pastors and missionaries and godly people going into all kinds of field. Uh, Christianity, uh, Christians looked at it kind of like as the Harvard of the evangelical faith, you know. He was also active in promoting the early evangelistic ministry of Billy Graham. So he was a big supporter as Billy Graham got going as he was speaking around the world. And on September 22, 1967, he was speaking in the Wheaton College Chapel. He had just finished telling the students about the time he had carefully rehearsed for an audience with the then emperor of Ethiopia. So he had been a missionary, right? And he had a chance, uh, you know, as a college president going to see missionaries on the field to he was going to get to meet the emperor of Ethiopia and how seriously he took that moment to get ready and to make sure he said the greeting right and all the things right and didn't make a fool of himself and dishonor the cause of Christ somehow. And then he applied it to the students. And here's what he said. He felt the students had slipped into a spirit of irreverence in their worship. And he said to them, you must always be prepared to respectfully conduct yourself in the presence of the King of Kings. And when Dr. Edmund made that point, he suddenly slumped to the floor and died. Whew. Having spoken of entering the presence of the King, he did it. And you know that drove home that message to all that were there that day and probably ramped up their counseling ministry. But anyway, um, and we've been looking at, uh, you know, how uh, there's serious moments when we're looking at the Word of God. And of course, the whole Word of God is given to us. It's awesome. It's inerrant. It's our authority. But it, it means something special when we look at 2 Timothy and we know these are the last words Paul got to write before he was killed for the faith. And the same thing we've seen in 2 Peter. I mean, these three chapters, 2 Peter's last words before he was killed for the faith. And his desire is that his readers will know Jesus like he has, give their lives to not only growing in him, but also being useful and fruitful in their faith. And so 2 Peter, we're in chapter 1, we're going to read verses 12 through 18. Peter says, For this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it is right, as long as I am in this tent, to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure 
that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. And your translation might say another word there. I don't think decease is the best word coming out of the Greek into English there. We'll talk about that in a moment. Verse 16, For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For He received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to Him from the excellent glory, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with Him on the holy mountain. The majestic glory is the title of the message. Let's pray. Father, we thank You so much for Second Peter. We thank You for this group gathered tonight, Lord God, and all who will listen later. We thank You for how Peter, uh, as a young man, had walked with Christ on earth. And not only did he get to hear you teach Jesus, he also got to see you transform before his very eyes. And he got a glimpse, along with John and James, of you as you appear in heaven and as you appeared to John in the book of Revelation. Uh, It gives us goosebumps to think about that, Lord, that Peter makes clear that uh, what he got to experience firsthand and had built his life on following you we who follow you now will one day also get to see you in all your glory. And Lord, help us to be able to so imagine that with our mind's eye and with the eyes of faith that we too will follow you gladly in the midst of a troubled world. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, two sections for tonight. First of all, in verses 12 to 15, we see that growing Christians live to intentionally pass along the faith to others. I'll let you in on a little secret here. I uh, didn't edit my notes right, so I added the word intentionally so you'd have something to fill in the blank there. I think I meant to just have you write pass there, but since pass is there, let's put in the word intentionally, right? Growing Christians live to pass along the faith to others. Uh, What personal words in verses 12 through 15, he says, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things. And of course, whenever you see a statement like that, you say, what things? And they're the things that we learned in verses 1 through 11. He said in verse 1, all true believers have obtained a faith of equal privilege as the one Peter has. I just love that this is the Apostle Peter. Uh, you know, the Roman Catholic Church calls him the first pope. Peter said, I am your, uh, I'm, I'm, your, I'm just a guy that has seen, uh, met Jesus and you can too. Uh, you've got a faith of equal privilege to the one I've got. And I just love the fact that there's no hierarchy in the body of Christ. Uh, I mean, for functionality, he gives us leaders and he gives us uses of our gifts and things. Um, But um, the moment we were saved, we had the same stuff Billy Graham had and Lottie Moon had and whoever has served Christ, which is really neat. You know, we're we're just all on that equal footing uh, before the Lord. Um, In verse four, he said, God's divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. And you will run into a lot of people that somehow will teach you need Jesus plus something. You need, you know. And uh, but the Bible teaches right here that you have everything you need to live a godly life and to uh, grow in Jesus and make a difference for Jesus. And, um, you know, and we spent some time talking about that, didn't we? You know, the privileges of having the Holy Spirit of God dwell inside of us. 
the privileges of having the Word of God in our language when the Word of God was uh, hidden from local languages for so long by the Roman Catholic Church. And the Reformation just burst through all that. And all of a sudden there was a German translation, and then there was an English translation, and then all these different things down to today. And thank God for those that continue to give the Word of God in the language of peoples as they go along. We've got the body of Christ and brothers and sisters that help us grow, and together we do great things for the Lord. You've got spiritual gifts that you can use to serve the Lord. Everything you need for life and for godliness to meet any situation. The Scripture gets you started and sometimes gives you the exact information you need for the moment that you're in. Uh, and then in verse 5, and following, he said, if we supplement our faith with virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly love, and agape love, we will not be barren or unfruitful in our faith. Those things is what he talked about there in verse 12. And then we come to verses 12 through 15, and Peter says, I will always remind you of these things. And, and what a word of encouragement, even though you know them and are established in the truth you have. And so here's your next fill in the blank. From this we gather that great preaching is preaching that goes over the basic truths about salvation and Christian living. It evangelizes, it edifies, and it equips. Um, let me let you know a little secret. Some preaching is supposed to be boring. You know, I don't like putting people to sleep and stuff, but sometimes people say, well, that was boring. Preaching in some sense ought to be predictable. In other words, you ought to be able to say, okay, pastor just read the text... I've read that text now and other times, and I can already in my mind be thinking, okay, the point of this passage is I think this, and pastor doesn't need to get too clever. The point of pastor's message should be the point of the text, right? Uh, so preaching should go over the basics. Uh, and one of the problems in our generation is we're in a generation of clever preachers trying to say things so cute and clever and in such a, uh, in such a way that, um, you know, it, it makes it hard for other pastors to be able to be that charismatic or that engaging or different things like that, you know. And that's why I'm so thankful um, for the great uh, pastors and evangelists of the past and we still have some of them with us now. And I hope I'm one of those kind of guys for others that I influence, younger pastors that I influence and stuff. Here's what I mean by that. David Jeremiah has always made my job as a local church pastor easier. He sticks with the word. The point of his message is the point of the text. Um, and the Holy Spirit does the rest. Chuck Swindoll, that's always been true. of Charles Stanley, always true, right? And uh, the great preacher, that's always the case. Um, contrast that to by some folks that are, I mean, they came out of our schools, you know, and they came out of our, you know, institutions, one up the road a little bit and one over in Texas a little bit and other places and things like that. But they've gotten a little too cool for school. And sometimes the way they say something makes my job harder as a local church pastor because they're trying to be so clever or, um, you know, uh, uh, just... Uh, not emphasizing things the text clearly says to give people the wrong idea about what is in the Bible and things and what's okay in a church and what's not okay in a church and things like that, that they actually make the local church's job harder. And so I'm so thankful that Peter is able to say, um, I'm just reminding you of things that you already know and you're established in this present truth. And I love how he even going forward in the next verses, he's going to use some of the same words 
that the um, uh, apostle uh, Paul uses when he uses the word tent. We'll look at that in a minute. But just to make that point a little bit more, um, you know, when a ship is sailing on the ocean, it's all dark out in the sky, right? And you're a sailor, right? And we love the song, The Lighthouse, that turned 50 years, 50 years old this past year. It matters if you're in a storm and you can see the lighthouse, right? But let's say you're farther out in the ocean and all you got is the stars, right? It'd be pretty beautiful on a clear night if you saw shooting stars out there. You'd go, wow, wow, that's really cool. But when it comes to navigating to get where you're going, what are you looking for? You're looking for the North Star. You're looking for those fixed stars that you can use your charts, right, uh, and, and get where you're going with. And that's what good preaching should be. That's what the Word of God is. And we've got to be a little careful about shooting stars that are hard to replicate, you know, that wow us in the moment but aren't going to last for the long haul. Okay, probably enough quibbling about all that. So the preacher's job is to get himself established and then help you get established. Your job is to get established, stay established, and help others get established. Uh, truth needs to be repeated and said amen to. Amen? Amen. amen. All right. 1 John 2.21, John said, I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. Peter said, I'm reminding you of what you know. Uh, when John wrote, he said, I'm writing to you things you know. Jude, another of the apostles, said, I want to remind you, though you know all these things, Jude 5. So look at verse 13. Peter says, as long as I am in this tent, I will stir you up by reminding you. Um, now, uh, another way for the word stir would be wake up, right? Uh, I will wake you up and remind you of those things. But the word is stir, which is cool too. Um, let me ask you this. Do you appreciate or resent getting woken up with a reminder? <laughs> Time for school, son. I know, Dad! Let me sleep a little more. I don't want to go today, honey. Well, you gotta go. You're the preacher. <laughs> Peter considered it right to wake them up because he knew what he was sharing was top priority stuff. And so he said, I consider it right just to, you know, it's a difficult world we're living in. It was, wasn't his day. You know, they were scattered. He's already told us that. Uh, they weren't in Jerusalem anymore at the big mega church experience they'd had together. They were forming churches all along the Black Sea and other places throughout the Roman Empire. Now he's in Rome. He's going to get killed for the faith. And he says, I just want to remind you one more time before I go. Um, so I like that he says it that away. Um, but let's not miss that Peter says, as long as I am in this tent. When you think about a tent, are you thinking about a permanent structure? No, no. We, we, we bring our tent with us and put it up and then we break it down, go to the next place, right? Uh, we're just sojourners going from one assignment to another in life. But obviously the tent there is a metaphor for his present body, his body that he's in. And the only body we get until we die, and then later on the hope of the gospel is a new body on a new earth, which is cool to think about. Particularly when we talk about a dear brother falling and breaking a hip, and you know, and some of the struggles you guys have had with health in this way or that way. I mean, the older you get, the more uh, hurts and pains you have, the more you realize it really is like a tent, you know. <laughs> oh, look, there goes a peg right there. What happened, what happened to that? <laughs> um, but... Um, Tents are temporary, and so are our present bodies. Look at verse 14. He says, Knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Peter was aware his time was short. He was probably age 70 or so by this point, which was old for those guys where the average age was often death in the 40s. Um, he was being persecuted by, in a Roman prison, and Christians were being killed. Now, I think it's neat that Peter talks about this tent stuff, 
and so does Paul. So turn over to 2 Corinthians 5, where the Apostle Paul says the same thing about this tent analogy and um, such good stuff there. And of course, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul had talked about how this corruptible body is going to be taken off. We're going to put on an incorruptible body, uh, sown a natural body, raised a spiritual body, you know, one that will last forever. Um, so let's just walk down through 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 8. For we know that if our earthly house, this tent is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, this body we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation which is from heaven. If indeed having been clothed we will not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now, folks, that last part there, that mortality may be swallowed up by life, I find that one of the most remarkable statements in all of the Bible. Um, because when we talk to people and they use the word mortality, the word mortality is usually used to describe the end of life and we're not sure what happens next, right? So, but the way Paul talked about it, knowing Jesus and knowing what was going to happen when he died and this tent was gone and he was going to get to his real home, the one with streets made of gold, you know, and whatever's in the New Jerusalem and then the New Earth that the New Jerusalem's going to come down to one day. He said, mortality, what we view as it, is going to be swallowed up by life. We view mortality as being swallowed up by death. Paul, and he, he did this intentionally, he said, no, mortality, this temporary stuff, is going to be swallowed up by what really matters, by real life. And we can't ever forget that. You know, I'm one that thinks we ought to strategize to get uh, to, to, to have, have the joy of the Lord now and make a difference now. But let's face it, uh, this life is the only hell believers will ever know, you know. Uh, so we don't want to make decisions, eternal decisions, uh, based on just what feels good and right right now. Some, sometimes we need to sacrifice and delay and wait or not even do something we'd like to do in our flesh in this earthly tent, but we don't do it because we know it'll be more than compensated later on, you know. Um, and then he says, uh, He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we're always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. So that's where when the preacher at the funeral says, the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. 2 Corinthians 5, using a tent analogy. And it'd be interesting to see who preached it first. Which preacher got it from the other, right? Uh, did David Jeremiah get it from Danny Campbell? Or did Danny Campbell get it from David Jeremiah? Well, did Paul get the tent analogy from Peter? Or did Peter get it from Paul? They both used it and God was glorified. Um, listen to this quote from the Venerable Bede, who uh, I believe lived 600, 700, something like that in England. Uh, he, wrote a, he was a monk that wrote a history of English Christianity that uh, is a very key book. But he said, Peter had a wonderful way of describing his death, not as the end, but as a putting off of this earthly tent, because going to be with the Lord is like coming home from a journey and exchanging the tent for the comforts of home. The only home a believer has is in heaven. Isn't that neat? We don't know how much time we have in our tents, but uh, we do know what happens after we put off the tent, right? 
after we're done camping. I, I don't know about some of y'all love camp. I've always hated camping. <laughs> I'd much rather stay in a hotel than camp out, you know. Um, and uh, but anyway, uh, I've been in ministry now for 32 years, 22 as a pastor and five here. I've worked with over a thousand households at this point. You know, a household could be a single person. It could be a family of eight, you know, or, or whatever, you know, if, everything in between. Um, and uh, at least 10% of those households are now in heaven. Wow. You know, as the preacher gets older, you know, he does more funerals and more people that he knew personally, cared deeply about, you know, and those things. Um, and, uh, you know, it... it uh, <coughs> Uh, it does tax you some, you know, I, our family knew this was going to be a funeral week. You know, it's dad's got a little cloudiness thinking this week because he's lost his dear friend, you know. Uh, and uh, uh, and then we think about not only, um, you know, you switch churches and come down here. Uh, you got some people dying up there that you know and love and you're thinking about. And then ones that you're here and you know them and then some you don't know as well, but you wish you'd known more about them. Right. So uh, I lost who I consider a dear friend, Billy Hancock, you know, uh, this past month that we baptized him and his wife, you know, not too long ago. And he's in heaven with her now. Uh, but, uh, you know, Bill Powell uh, just passed. And I know he's a great man. Wish I knew him better, you know, and some of y'all did. And uh, he's put off one tent and he now has it better than we ever thought about having it. I believe the way it probably works, and this isn't uh, a firm knowledge, but I believe that even in heaven now, there's some kind of temporary body before the uh, perfect body will be in uh, later on on the new earth. Um, so um, now Peter, he didn't know when he was going to die, but Jesus had been pretty honest with him that his death would probably be a violent one. Turn to John chapter 21. John chapter 21. After the great words of restoration where Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? And when Peter responded, I do. And Jesus came back to him with, if you really love me, feed my sheep. Uh, verse 18, Jesus said, most assuredly, Peter, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signify, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Well, Peter, you used to be able to get around pretty good, but one day people are going to carry you. And uh, you wonder if Peter had figured that out, you know, that it meant his own crucifixion. And we're told that when it did come time to die, Paul was beheaded. They, they were in the Roman prison together, more than likely, the horrible maritime prison. Um, and uh, Peter uh, was going to be crucified. And because of um, his role as the leader of the disciples, I think Nero thought that was funny, you know. And he convinced, he said, I'm not worthy to die the way my Savior did. So tradition has it that he was actually crucified on an upside down cross. But uh, you wonder if Peter hadn't figured it out before that moment, you know, if he figured it out in those months leading up to it in the prison, or if he figured it out as they were going to the place of crucifixion. Yep, this is what Jesus was talking about, you know. Peter had lived his life knowing his time was coming, and he made the most of his interactions with others for Jesus. And of course, we want to also. Uh, reminds you what Paul said in 2 Timothy 4. 
He said, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is close. Remember that word departure. Um, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. In the future, there is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not only to me, but to all those who have loved his appearing. And uh, so there's a crown for you right there. If you'll a little bit each day say, Lord, perhaps today. Remember, I think Jerry Fall used to give out those little uh, perhaps today uh, pins, right? Um, and if you'll just take a little time each day thinking, man, today, this could be the day the rapture happens. And uh, if my death happens today, I'll be better off than I ever have. I want to live a little longer and influence people and stuff. But uh, Paul said there's a special crown waiting, the crown of righteousness for those who loved his appearing, who are thinking about how great it's going to be when Jesus does everything he, he's going to do on this earth. Look at verse 15. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. Well, golly, it's one, one thing to, um, to influence people while you're living. Peter says, I'm going to make sure I keep influencing you after I'm dead. <laughs> he must have put some things on Facebook <laughs> that would never go away or made a film or something, you know. Um, the word for decease is actually exodon. What does that sound like? Exodus, right? Exodus. Uh, it would be better to translate it as exodus or departure. So I'm going to, uh, you'll always have a reminder of these things after my departure. Um, and when Israel exited Egypt, they headed toward their true home, the promised land. The word is used of Jesus' coming exodus in Luke 9.31 in the transfiguration passage. It says Moses and, Moses and Elijah showed up and Peter, James, and John knew who they were. So somehow the essence of who we are is, is immediately recognizable uh, after death because they were with Jesus and there they were. And, uh, but they were talking about the time of Jesus' exodus, leaving this earth, going back to heaven, and going from this to the promised land. Well, Elvis has left the building. So has Peter and Paul now, but the faith goes on. And uh, Peter had spoken God's truth to them. He was speaking God's truth to them, and he anticipated leaving a legacy that would point people to Christ after his death. We're reading one of those ways. Peter knew, okay, the Holy Spirit's using me to write 1 Peter and 2 Peter, and that's going to live on after me. And um, so, uh, you know, that's one of the reasons why I write these devotionals, you know, something to go on after I'm not here, you know. Uh, I'm thankful for technology that allows for cassettes from the past. And, uh, man, Tabernacle's got some records from the past, don't they? You know, I don't know if we ever made any eight-track tapes or whatever, but different kinds of records and cassettes and tapes and Internet stuff and all the different things. Um, but uh, another way, what, what is another way uh, that he had, uh, would, his legacy would carry on uh, for Jesus? The people he'd influenced, right? I mean, we talked last time about how he influenced John Mark and how he influenced Silas and stuff like that. And it leads to the question we all should think through. And I, I don't know about that whole word legacy. People are usually thinking about themselves. We, we want to leave a legacy for Jesus, right? Not for ourselves so much. It doesn't matter whether people remember Danny Campbell, but they need to remember Jesus. They need to know Jesus to go to heaven, right? But in what ways are you intentionally reminding people of God's truths? There are, of course, many ways to do it within the church and its ministries. The church is always just one generation away from extinction, isn't it? And now the Lord said He'd build His church, and the gates of hell wouldn't be able to overcome it. And He gave the very positive and encouraging uh, Matthew 13, parable of the sower, 
that predicted the thing would just keep on growing till the end time, right? Uh, and so we don't need to sweat it whether or not there will be uh, faith into the next generations. There will be. Of course, we want our loved ones to get in on it too and those that we influence, so we're praying for that. Uh, so it's always one generation from extinction, and yet the church has continued to grow for 2,000 years, and a lot of that is because believers have heard words like Peter's here, and they themselves have been intentional about influencing others. Um, but what about after you're gone? He said, he said it would continue on even after he, he, he had left, he'd exited. So are you making every effort to make sure that after your departure, the gospel will continue on? A dear friend of mine did just die that was an elder up at Wayne Hills Baptist Church. Uh, his name was Charles Smith, a very godly guy, had been such an encouragement to me uh, over the years. And uh, Charles made sure, he told me about this, and I, I'm almost tickled thinking about his kids reading the will, you know, because the, the opening preamble to his will shares the gospel one more time. So as his kids realize somebody's gotten this and somebody's gotten that and stuff like that one more time, they'll hear about his faith in the Lord Jesus and that his entire trust was in Christ for uh, eternal salvation. Pretty good idea there, right? Others keep a journal, blog, write letters. Those will mean something to your loved ones after you're gone, you know. Um, and uh, others remember their church or Christian organizations they have supported in their will. Growing Christians live to pass their faith along to others. That brings us to verses 16 to 18. Growing Christians are fueled by the hope of glory. So in chapter 5, verse 1, Peter describes himself as a participant in the glory that's about to be revealed. Paul also looked forward to that coming glory. He said, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's going to be revealed to us. And uh, I love how in verses uh, 17 and 18, he refers back to when he had personally got to see Christ in all his glory. He had a foretaste of the coming glory while on earth. Verse 16 says he had been an eyewitness of Christ's majesty. And in verse 18, he says that happened when they were with Christ on the holy mountain. So what do we what big word do we use to describe when Peter, James, and John got to see Jesus Christ uh, in, in His glory. You had it? Transfiguration is what she said. Yeah, right? That's what she said. Yeah, we call it, we call it Christ transfiguration. And it's literally almost the word morphed before their very eyes. They had seen the Jesus that they had followed, and then all of a sudden that moment... Uh, he was transfigured. That's one way it's brought into English, transfigured or transformed, metamorphosized before. And they saw him, man, like the angels see him in heaven. Uh, you know, they probably had to turn down the radiant sum where they would have had their eyeballs burned out in that moment. Right. But let's look at how Mark brings it up. Mark chapter eight. Mark chapter eight. Now, again, this is 40, uh, 40 years or so later. And uh, Peter remembers it was like it yesterday and uses it to encourage himself and us about getting to see Jesus one day. Um, so 838 says, whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, the son of man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his father with the holy angels. So all the disciples got to hear him teach about him coming back with the glory of the angels, as Daniel 7 said would be true of the Son of Man. But chapter 9 starts out, and he said to them, Assured I say to you that there are some 
standing here who will not taste death till they see the kingdom of God present with power. And then just three did. Some of you here will get to see that. Peter was in that privileged number along with the brothers James and John. Because look at verse 2. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up on a high mountain apart by themselves, and He was transfigured before them. His clothes became shining, exceedingly white like snow, such as no launderer on earth can whiten them. Don't you love that detail that was put in? Uh, and Mark's gospel is Mark probably having interviewed Peter. So uh, pretty cool to think about. And Elijah appeared to them with Moses and they were talking with Jesus. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, teacher, it's good for us to be here and let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses and one for Elijah, because he did not know what to say, for they were greatly afraid. He did not. Uh, Peter was that kind of guy, wasn't he? Having nothing to say, said... <laughs> <laughs> um, and a cloud came and overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son, hear Him. Suddenly when they had looked around, they saw no one anymore, but only Jesus with themselves. There's a lot of, this is a, a bit of a side note here, but I've been talking to a few folks really of all ages right now that uh, have grown weary in well-doing, um, are in danger of putting away the faith that they've talked about embracing for some time now. And, um, you know, we got to listen to those folks that are in that fragile situation. And then I've just as lovingly as I can know how to say, I've said, you know, it sounds like your eyes have gotten off of Jesus and have gotten on to people. And you can count on it. People are going to disappoint you. Danny Campbell disappoints himself all the time. No surprises when other people tell me I've disappointed them. I disappoint myself, you know. Um, but man, Jesus has never disappointed me. My, my false expectations and bad theology about Jesus formed by a culture that has a shallow faith. Sometimes I've imbibed a little bit of that and I've been disappointed because, you know, something didn't happen the way I thought it would. But it wasn't that it was it was my misunderstanding of things from the Lord. You know, he's not a genie. He's not a slot machine. You know, uh, he's not a tame lion, at, uh, you know is what C.S. Lewis wrote about Aslan. He's not a tame lion, you know. He's good, but he's not tame, you know. And uh, sometimes when he hasn't done what I thought he should do, I've been disappointed, but that was my fault. When I've stuck with what the Bible says about Jesus, who he is, what he's done for us by dying for our sins, the fact that he's in heaven now praying for us, you know, interceding for us, it just delights my soul all over again. So maybe if you're talking to somebody frustrated, just listen to their story a little bit and say, it sounds like your eyes have gotten off Jesus and you ought to just get real back to simple stuff. Let the psalmist's words form your words of frustration in your prayers and turn to John and just start reading and fall in love with Jesus all over again, you know, and he'll fill in the rest of the blanks, you know, along the way. Uh, and, and uh, you know, I can't help but think about the difference between Peter and Judas. You know, they both blew it. Judas never went back to his fellow disciples and never went back to the Lord. Peter, even before he could go back to Jesus, was hanging out with the fellow disciples and borrowing their faith for a little bit, you know, um, having them love on him a little bit. And so uh, the difference between the long haul Peter and the shooting star Judas uh, was eyes on Jesus and with the other Christians. Well, at His transfiguration, Jesus was metamorphosized before their very eyes. Peter saw Christ transformed into an, His all-glorious heavenly form. And John says the same thing in John 1.14. Um, 
Now, Peter didn't know what to say, so then he suggested building three tabernacles. And that was probably a reference to the Feast of Tabernacles when the Israelites would come to Jerusalem and camp in tents for seven days. What was happening was Peter was expressing a desire to stay in that place. It's good for us to be here. And Peter's reflecting in 2 Peter, back to there, he's reflecting on that years later as he's writing his final words. Um, And he's like, I saw the glory. I had a taste of it. And I'm looking so forward to seeing that glory again forever and ever and ever. Have you ever had such a profound moment with the Lord you didn't want that moment to end? I sure have some of those mountaintop experiences and things, you know. And Peter had had one of those. And we, we need to remember those times, those remarkable times where God cemented something for us, you know. And because, uh, you know, those, those mountaintop experiences gave us a view where we could see maybe the next few years of what life would look like for us as we followed him. Thirty plus years had passed since Peter had experienced that, but it still fueled him. Uh, When I hear David Thompson share that testimony about what happened in the Danville Christian Academy Chapel, you know, it still fuels him to share with others that need to make their peace with God. Um, You know, and you've got stories like that, and I do too, and we need to tell them to each other. Not only had Peter seen Jesus transfigured, he had heard the voice of the Heavenly Father. So that's pretty cool too, right? Um, The majestic glory. The majestic glory. This is my beloved Son. I take delight in Him. And after that, Peter saw no one there but Jesus. Peter had a specific purpose. Here's a fill in the blank for you. For reminding them of these things. Because false teachers were already beginning to say that Jesus and the Scriptures were not enough, as many do in our day, right? Um, and um, Peter says, stick with our Bible-based preaching that exalts Jesus. This glory theme was quite a one for Peter, and it goes with the word hope. Faith, hope, love, right? The word hope. So Paul is often called the apostle of faith. If you look at his writings, he has the highest proportion of the word faith of the apostles. Uh, John is often called the apostle of love. He has the highest proportion of the word love in his And Peter is often called the Apostle of Hope. And hope is uh, not uncertainty. In the Bible, hope is being sure of the things of faith that for Peter, I had seen God's glory, I will see God's glory. For us, it's knowing we're saved. It's knowing we've got a reserved place in heaven, knowing that the best is yet to come, right? And you put those things together and the word that says it best is glory, right? So one of the main reasons for that is as many references to glory. Thirteen times in the eight chapters he wrote, far greater proportion than the other apostles. He had experienced it. He wanted others to experience it too. Um, We ain't seen nothing yet. The tent we have now is temporary, but that glory will go on forever. So the last point is life is a series of temporary assignments, then life and glory without end. And uh, sometimes the temporary assignment is three years, sometimes it's 30 years, you know. Uh, But God is the author of it all, and it's all temporary compared to the eternity to follow. Like Paul said, anything we go through now that's rough is momentary afflictions compared to the eternal glory that awaits those who are His. Thank you for joining us for today's edition of Tabernacle Today. To learn more about The Tabernacle, please visit our website at www.thetabernaclefamily.org. 
There you may access additional Tabernacle Today podcasts as well as other resources. If you don't have a church home or happen to be visiting the area, we'd love to welcome you to one of our weekly services. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to seeing you back for another edition of Tabernacle Today. Tabernacle Today.